Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here, whether you're coming into my home today or whether you're coming to me from online, SoundCloud, or wherever. Praise God. I'm so happy that you're here. As I kind of said last week, I'm going to say it again until God tells me to stop, but I hope you didn't come here to be entertained. I hope you didn't come and tune in here or you didn't come in here to be entertained to, you know, so that I would dance for you and I do all these things for you, but I hope that you came here because you wanted to know more about God. That's why I hope you tuned in today and you came to our church today because you wanted to learn more about God. Because you wanted to be taught the Word of God because you wanted to be involved in fellowship, which the Bible says we're supposed to be involved in, and you just didn't want to be entertained. So many of today's so-called churches, they want to entertain their members. They want to play, do this and have all these things so that the people are entertained and so that they come, yet they're missing out on the major reason why the Bible said that God wanted us to get together. And that was to have fellowship. That was to learn more about him. That was to become, you know, loving and one another more than we could outside. And so I hope you came here today not to be entertained, but to be taught. If this is your first time listening to me, hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches in these last days, and our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. We always start with a word of prayer, so if you guys would join me, please, and we ask God to teach us, for we know the Word says that only by the Spirit of God, only by God, can we learn anything, not by man. So I'm just a vessel, and so let's pray that God help us to understand what He has to say to us today. Lord, thank you for bringing us here, Lord. And as I just said, Lord, we know that we can't learn anything about you or know anything about you, Lord, unless you teach us, unless you reveal us what you want us to know about you. So, Lord, we pray, God, please, Lord, that you would help us understand you more, that you would reveal yourself to those listening, that you would reveal yourself to us, Lord, that you would speak through my mouth today, Lord God, and teach us. Help us to understand you more. Help us to know you more. Because, Lord, those that are listening online, those that are here, we're here because we want to know more about you, Lord God. We've taken a step to come closer to you, Lord. We, we pray that you take ten steps closer to us and, and shine your light more to us, Lord, so that you can reveal yourself more to us. Pray we'd be ready to, to hear that too, Lord. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. We just ask that we would not be the same after what we hear today as we were before we hear before we would hear what we hear today. Lord, for we, Lord, we pray your word would change us, Lord, and make us different. Help us to trust in you more. Help us to get a different angle on things, Lord God, and help us to always be learning, Lord God, and coming to many truths, not learning and coming to no truth. We thank you, and we love you, and we praise you, and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name, Lord. Amen. So you can turn to Acts chapter 7 today, for we're going to be in the whole chapter today. That's right, I'm going to be teaching 60 verses today. That's how many verses are in Acts chapter 7, but I'm not going to read them or teach them until I give you my thoughts from last week's message. Stephen waits on tables and shuts down his debaters. God, again, last week showed all Christians that he doesn't care if you're a table waiter, a debater for him, an apostle, a pastor, or elder. He can use you in a mighty way even doing mighty signs and wonders and all kinds of things, even miracles, through you just as he did through Stephen and with Stephen. For Stephen was just a simple table waiter for the kingdom of God, right? He was just a simple table server. 
And God used him in an amazing way to minister to those Christians he was serving, even doing mighty signs and wonders amongst them, as well as even when the time arose, those that came against him, he shut them down in a debate. And you'd think, well, he wasn't anything special in the church. He wasn't a, a pastor or an apostle. or he was No, he was just a table waiter, an overseer of a ministry. But yet God did awesome things through and for God is awesome. You see, he will use any Christian for any work as long as, just like I talked about last week, our hearts are strong towards him, we're ready and willing to serve him, and we make ourselves available and we're waiting on him, saying, God, would you please let me serve you? Help me to serve you, Lord. Show me where to serve you or how you want me to serve you. And of course, please remember, Christians, no matter what position you hold in your church, uh, or even if you don't hold a position in your church at all, God can and will use you in many ways and can do many signs and wonders and even miracles through you for his name's sake. Even using you as a mouthpiece in, in talking to others about him and if others come against you with stupid arguments because the world's arguments are all stupid and God's arguments are all wise because he is all wise and all powerful, then he'll even use you to shut them down and even shut people's mouths as you tell them about Jesus Christ and about the truths about him. I just want to give you some quick closing thoughts on these ideas. I hate to sound like a broken record, but if you are a true Christian, God wants to use you in some kind of work for him and for his kingdom. It may not seem like big work to you, but trust me, for God, it's huge. And if you say today, because I hear this, well, God's not using me. Well, I hate to say this, but it's not his fault. It's yours. It's your fault why God's not using you not his. He wants and desires to use you for some work, but he won't use you if you don't want to be used. If you want to be lazy, if you're not willing, if you're not making yourself ready, and if you don't even want to, well, then of course he's not gonna use you. If you want to serve him, you are willing to serve him. He will make you ready to serve him, just like he's done with every single one of those whom he's used since the apostles to serve him, same as he did with Stephen, the lowly table server. So Christians, no excuses. Prepare yourself for God and be willing, be ready and ask him to use you. And I guarantee you, because the word of God says he will, that he will, because again, he made you to serve him for some type of work. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Did God make you to serve him? <laughs> you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, how many? Well, we don't know how many, but God prepared, bef- prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. That's kind of how it works. That's kind of how God does things. All right. Well, let's get on to our new sermon for today. Our title, which I just got just kind of finality this morning. It's, uh, it was a hard pill for them to swallow. It was a hard pill for them to swallow. Now we're going to read over Acts chapter 7, the whole chapter, but we're not going to do it before like we normally do. We're going to do it as we go for time's sake as I want to try to keep our sermon within the same hour time frame and and as I have to manage and, and, and a whole chapter of teaching versus just three or four or five verses, as you know, well know if you've been listening to me for a while, I've, I've taught an hour on five verses. You're like, Pastor Ed, you're going to do 60? Are we going to be here at 5 o'clock tonight? No, 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 just 
chill out. It's going to work out. <laughs> You'll see. So, just recapping a little bit. So, the evil, sore loser followers of Satan had bribed or paid off some despicable scoundrels to give false witness against Stephen, to lie, and to say that Stephen had spoken blasphemous things against God and his law, saying that Jesus Christ was going to destroy the holy place of the temple and stop the Jews from practicing their religion in the Old Covenant way. Remember, there was a way that they did it back in the, under the Old Covenant. And, of course, by them saying all these things, one of their hopes kind of came true. What happened is, is, well, the religious leaders found out, and, of course, that's, again, what they were wanting because they knew the religious leaders had the power to arrest them, and, and they, along with others, seize and arrest Stephen. Think all these religious, so-called religious people arresting Stephen, and they look to him for his defense to the accusations that they gave or made against him. At first, the scripture told us, Acts 6.15, kind of going back a little bit from to last week, and they looked at him steadfastly to see his response to the things that he had just that they had just said against him. But he doesn't answer them. Instead, he just looks at them. Remember 6.15, having the face of an angel. What is this, having the face of an angel? Did, it, did an angel really come down and put his face on Stephen? No, I see this as, hey, he was full of God's Holy Spirit, and he looked at him with just this glowing, I love God, I love Jesus, and I'm innocent face. And as he glared at him, they just looked. And, and so what, what happens is, so they're staring at him. They're, they're looking at him for his answer. We don't know just how long they sat there looking at him. And it is divine face. But they finally speak up verse 1 of today's chapter. Here we go. Then the high priest said, are these things so? They look to him and they're, they're, they get probably, we don't know how long they look, but they're tired of looking at him. They're like, man. And the way I see it is, I'm, I'm looking at him, looking at him going, He's just staring at us. Is he going to say anything? I don't know. What, well, hey, we better say something or else we don't, you know, I, I see them looking at him in this heavenly face and they just couldn't stand to stare at him for much longer because of the conviction. For they knew he was innocent, I kind of believe, but you know, we don't know that. That's outside of scripture. But it, we tend to think, I tend to think that they knew he was innocent because after all, he loved Jesus and Jesus never taught anything like that. But anyway, I think that they felt somewhat awkward. So they say to him, hey, are these things so? Looking to him for his defense. Uh, do they get him to respond? Yes, they get him to respond. Do they get him to defend himself? No. He never once, throughout this whole chapter, ever once defends himself. Not one moment. Not even one. Do they get him to respond? Boy, oh boy, do they. Do they ever? <laughs> In fact, uh, they get the response of a lifetime, I like to think of it. With Stephen's reply being, think of it, the next 52 verses and roughly 98% of this whole chapter that we're going to look at. And aside from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which was, that was several chapters, but they weren't quite as long as this one. Stephen's sermon here is the longest sermon in the entire New Testament, hands down. So let's start looking at his lengthy response and get going on these 58 or 59 more verses. Look at verses 2 and verses 3, or verse 2 and 3. And he said, this is Stephen now, finally he speaks up. Brethren and fathers. What's he doing? He's addressing his audience. Typical, typical teacher of God. Brothers or brethren and fathers. Listen. Now, 
I'm sure they expected him to say, oh, guys, really, I, I never said this. I, I promise I never did. I, I love Jesus. I, I, I don't know where you guys got this stuff from. But instead of him defending himself, he says, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. And he and did in Genesis 12, 1 is our reference point for that. Now, Stephen starts off speaking to them of their history instead of his defense, which I'm sure kind of threw them for a loop. What is he doing? Does, what, isn't he going to say anything about these accusations that we made, that these guys made against him? What, what's he talking to us about Abraham about? Well, you know, let's listen. What the, what the heck is this guy talking about? Which, as you'll see, as I'll talk about as we go further here, which was Stephen's exact point to this whole message. He wanted to get their attention and keep their attention because, as the title speaks of, there was a hard pill that he was going to have to get him to swallow, and he does it in a very smooth and slow way. So he starts off speaking to them of their history. And FYI, really most of this sermon is of their history except for his clothes. Uh, the opening of his history lesson goes all the way back to Genesis 12. Thousands of years before Stephen ever lived when God decided to reveal himself to Abraham for the first time. Before this, Abraham, as well as all the other descendants of Noah, were just like just that. All descendants of Adam and Eve and Noah, just as though all others alive on planet Earth at that time. For we know that all mankind came from Eve. They were born of Eve. Even modern science says that they can trace all mankind back to an Eve, a one woman that created all, that all creation kind of came from, all human beings, I should say, came from. But this was nothing special. Being part of just Noah's, you know, family line, well, that's just nothing special. But God, you see, Stephen points this out, and God, if you read the Old Testament, shows us that God was doing something special with Abraham by revealing himself to him. Something that was really game-changing as far as the whole world was concerned. Why was it game-changing? Well, God was about to move through Abraham in a new way and make a special, separate, set-apart people. The set-apart people called the nation of Israel. He was about to give them their own land or their own real estate. That would be the one of the Gentiles, not their own that they had from birth, but one that he was going to kick the Gentiles out and move the Jews in. Look at verses 4 and 5. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, uh, he moved him to this land of which you now dwell. That would be the land of Canaan, their promised real estate, or today, modern-day Israel. Verse 5. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. At that time, that is. But even when Abraham had no children, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him, which then he did, for obviously Jews are still in Israel to this day, and they will never be kicked off permanently ever, because guess why? The Bible says that God promised that this land was theirs perpetually, or to the end of the age, or the end of the earth. And God is faithful, you see. If he says something's going to happen, and he's going to do something, then you can take it to the bank, for as I said last week, whatever God says he's going to do, good as gold. It's guaranteed. Guaranteed. Verses 6 and 7. Look, but God spoke in this way. 
that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. And the Bible does, in fact, say that Egypt was this nation and they did oppress the Jews for exactly 400 years. The nation to whom they would be in bondage, verse 7, I will judge, said God, and after that they shall come out and serve me in this place, which God did. Again, if you're familiar with your Old Testament book of Exodus, he did by the ten plagues which he brought upon Egypt. And then in the wilderness, as he was exiting or exodusing the children of Israel out of Egypt, he killed or drowned them in the Red Sea while the Jews went through on dry land before them while they made their escape. Verse 8. Then he gave him, which would be Abraham now again, the covenant of circumcision, which God did in Genesis 17. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac got Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. God's promise to Abraham to make him of a nation was, a, was as good as gold, right? We just talked about that. As good as gold. When God promises something, it's as good as gold. But, just an aside here off of the scripture for a moment, God didn't even give him a son to start this, this whole new generation, to start this whole nation that he said he was going to bring him, uh, that he was going to bring him for 25 years. God made Abraham wait for one child for this promise for 25 years. God may promise something, but just because he does doesn't mean that you can expect that promise to come few in, or to come uh, to come in a few minutes or hours, days or even a few years in case you didn't know. You see God works on a different clock than we do. That's just what the Bible says. Wow. Now, just for a quick break, uh, trying not to be monotonous here, but what on earth is Stephen talking about? Where on earth is Stephen going with this sermon full of history? Again, he hasn't defended himself, not one bit. Yeah, but I'm innocent, and, 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 these, and all these people that were here, because I'm uh, willing to bet the wager here that Stephen actually had some witnesses to prove his innocence. He probably, I mean, as he's doing these things, remember, he was serving the Christians in the church, and I'm sure these guys come along. I kind of have an idea that while he's doing the serving, these guys kind of come up, and so he had to have some witnesses to say that he never said those evil things, right? But yet he doesn't pull one witness, and he doesn't give one instance of a defense for himself. Uh, You're going to see as we continue reading where he's going for now, Just know that God is about to slowly slide down into these religious leaders' bellies, a hard pill for them to swallow, a hard pill indeed. I'll point it out and explain it more when we get there, but just hold on. God has a plan for this sermon. It just may not be a plan that we are used to using, especially if you're used to talking to people about Jesus. This may not be, and this was a real lesson for me this week, because Stephen's going to hit him hard, and he's going to give him a hard pill, but he's sliding it down slow. And me, I'm the more of the abrupt type. I like to, when I get to talk to people about Jesus or their salvation, I like to just get right into it. I don't want to pussyfoot around and, you know, slide around the edge. And But that's really what Stephen's doing here. He's trying to get him to swallow a hard pill, but just doing it so softly and subtly and trying to keep their attention. And so verses 9 through 14, look what he says next. More history. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, 
sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. That's his consolation. And delivered him out of all his troubles, which he did. And God gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over all Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and a great trouble came in, uh, over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, which was where Abraham, or which was Abraham's family was living. And our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was no grain in Egypt, he sent, or, or excuse me, but when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. And what can we say? And he was finally restored with them all. And sadly for Joseph, now, this is one, you know, Scripture's full of praise gods, and the Scripture's full of pain. And that's what we see all throughout history. And I'm not going to be doing much, much, much more commenting on history, except for this one sad fact here. Sadly uh, for Joseph, God did allow him to be sold as a slave into Egypt by his betraying uh, brothers. Uh, but, he, but God was with them the whole time. As I said, that was his consolation. But how tough and long was Joseph's journey anyway? Stephen just spoke about Joseph's journey all the time that he spent in Egypt and with his brothers betraying him in six small and short verses. But how difficult and long was Joseph's journey anyway? Well, Joseph was about 17 when he was sold as a slave, and he was 30 years of age when God finally lifted up his head to be governor over Egypt. Now think, he was only 17 when he went to Egypt as a slave, and he was a slave in Potiphar's house, and then he was a slave in prison, but he was a slave for 13 years. Now, he was only 17 when he went in, which means that almost doubling his life, he was a slave to two different people in Egypt, and not at home, and not with his own family. Ouch. Then, think about this, as Scripture says, he didn't even get to see his betraying brothers again for about nine years after God lifted up his head. For scripture says that his brothers didn't come until two years after the famine had started. And we know they had seven years of plentiful. And then it wasn't two, it wasn't but two years into the famine that he actually got to see his betraying brothers. So now he's 39 before he has any, from 17, he's 39 before he gets to see the greatest guys in the world. Laugh out loud, right? His betraying brothers. I'm sure those are the first ones that he wanted to see if he was ever hoping to get home. Yeah, right. Uh, what a deal. These guys had sold him up the river because they were jealous of him. And yet now he, they're the first ones that he gets to actually have contact with, the ones that betrayed him and stabbed him in the back. And at that, he goes from 17 to 39, which is 17, 27, 30. That's 22 years. So after 22 years, you finally get to see the guys that stabbed you in the back. And following from that, his final re reunion with his full family, with his Poor dad, whom thought he was dead for the whole time, wasn't until he was about 40 or 41. So Joseph was without a real loving relationship with his full family, think of it, for 23 to 24 years. How tough it must have been for poor Joseph. But, as I said, on the good side, God was with him, but I still know that it was hard for him. Anyway, continuing his sermon full of history. Uh, still don't see the purpose. God has one. It's coming. Be patient. Look at verses 16 and 17. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, and he and his fathers, and, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamar. 
uh, the father of Shechem. So now the whole family of 75 persons was in Egypt with the stage ready to be set for God's earlier promise and prophecy to Abraham about the 400 years of suffering and hardship for the Jews. Look at verses 17 through 34. We're going to cover a big chunk this time. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had shown to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. And we just talked about this funny enough after service last week, estimating here when they finally left, these 75 people had gone to a roughly over 2 million considering that it was 400 years, considering that it was 75, and this, uh, uh, considering men, women, and children, but over 2 million plus by the time they left. They had animals and all kinds of stuff that God had let them have from the Egyptians well, when they exited. Look at verse 18. Till another king arose who did not know Joseph. Now, this was, of course, after a long time. This man dwelt, dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed them and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies uh, so that they might not live. Now, remember... Uh, there was a time when uh, the Pharaoh said, we, these, these, these Jews are multiplying so much. These Israelites are, are multiplying so much. We got we to gotta stop it. Hey, we got to start killing the babies because they're starting to outnumber our people here in this whole land. And what happens when they outnumber our people? Well, when one race outnumbers the race of a whole other people and a whole other nation, well, <laughs> that race can easily take over. So he's like, we can't have that. So let's kill all their babies. So that, that's what happened. Verse 20, at that time, Moses was born. And remember, Moses was one of those that his family kind of kept back, if you know the biblical account. And Moses was kept back by his family for a certain amount of months. And then they were like, well, we still want to kill him. And they go down to the river and they put him in a basket and with tar in the bottom. And then Pharaoh's daughter sees him. And the whole story, if you've ever seen Ben-Hur, all that goes on. And that's what happened to Moses. So Moses here says, was pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was uh, set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Now, that tells me that Moses knew that he was of Jewish descent or Israeli descent. And, of course, the scripture would lead us to believe that because it says here that he wanted to visit his brethren. He knew that he was not an Egyptian. Verse 24, And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptians. So he killed the same, he killed one of the people of the people that had taken him in and saved his life. But of course, we know that Pharaoh wasn't going to like that, so Moses fled. Verse 25. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to them as one of them, as two of them were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill us or do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire uh, in a bush, the burning bush. We know that to be God in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now I come, or now come, I will send you to Egypt. History, 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 more history, and no defense of himself.
It's good stuff, Pastor Ed, but where is this hard pill God is slowly sliding down into their bellies, you say? Stephen hasn't even said anything hard for them to swallow at all. It's all just been history. Well, I'm glad you said that because Stephen begins his hard pill for them to swallow gently and what he says next. Look at verses 35 and 36. He stills in history, but look how he Look how he goes in the history as the purposeful place that God led him to go here. This Moses, whom they rejected, their precious Moses. These people today that Stephen is talking to, Moses to them, oh my gosh, they, they basically held him up as a god. And now we, Stephen, here he comes, this Moses whom they rejected. He makes sure he puts this in the account of the history, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge is the one that God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. And he brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. He reminds them that their precious Moses, the, the one by whom came the whole law, think about it, and all their customs, right? Whom remember the evil religious leaders of Stephen and Jesus' time loved and doted over so much was heavily rejected by their ancestors that came out of Egypt. But that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of where he's going. Look at verse 37. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. So Moses prophesied thousands of years before, hey, there's going to come somebody like me that you're going to hear. And he's going to be kind of, he's going to be like me, but he's going to be, you know, obviously somebody that's going to be comparable to me. Now, for Moses to say, somebody's going to come that's going to be comparable to me, well, that, that's a big step. Because in, 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 in the Jewish history, I, there's not one person that any Jew would look up to more than Moses. Because Moses, again, was the giver of the law. Moses was the one by whom, I mean, they gave all their customs through, the one that God spoke to on Mount Sinai. There there was nobody that they would praise more in their faith than Moses. Yet Moses is saying now, hey, there's going to be one that's going to be like me that's going to come and hear him you're going to hear. That's big. That's big. And he reminds them that Stephen reminds them of that here. Of course, who do we think and who do we know that Stephen's pointing to here, of course? Well, we know that he's pointing to Jesus Christ, the Savior. Of course, Moses didn't know his name, but he's who Moses was pointing to. So Moses is rejected at first, but then the people believe in him, uh, that he's from God because all the amazing miracles that God did through him and all the different miracles and signs that God did with the, you know, the, you know, all the plagues that God sent on Egypt, right? And so they follow him out of Egypt. After they do, After they follow, (laughs) I love this part, after they follow him out of Egypt and accept him, does their beloved Moses have it easy? Does this beloved Moses have it made in the shade with God's chosen people, the Jewish nation of Israel? Wow, no way, Jose. And what Stephen teaches next continues the prelude to this hard pill God's trying to get them to swallow smoothly and slowly. Look at verses 38 through 42. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke with him on Mount Sinai, still speaking to Moses, and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. 
Verse 39, oh, right in their face, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. Ouch! He reminds them of all the slack, all the crap, all the hardship that the children of Israel gave Moses, whom they would not obey but rejected. Remember all the times, the multiple times that Moses will hear from God. And God says, hey, go do this and go this way. And then he'd go this way, but there'd be no water. And the children of Israel would rise up. Let's stone him. This is their beloved Moses whom they worshipped almost like God. And yet he, Stephen reminds them here that their ancestors rejected Moses. Their ancestors were harsh on Moses. Their ancestors treated Moses like a piece of garbage, really. And look at, he goes on, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. Ooh, ouch, and we know they did. Because that's why not one, not one except for two people, right? Every other of that over 2 million men, women, and children, or men and women above the age of 40, they didn't make it into the land of Egypt because their hearts turned back to Egypt, verse 40, saying to Aaron, remember, make us gods to go before us. For, as for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Remember, Moses goes up on the top of Mount Sinai to speak with God, but he's gone for 40 days and 40 nights, and the children of Israel are like, oh my gosh! Moses is gone. Oh, well. Hey, Aaron, move, let's move on. Hey, let's get, let's get on with some new gods. And so, hey, do this for us and do that for us. And so, you know, do this because, you know, Moses, hey, what's, uh, he's gone. Let's, let's move on. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and, re- and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to the worship of the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of their Prophets, verse 42, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your God, Remphan. Notice he said, your God, yet he was supposed to be their God. Yet God said, your God, Remphan, images which you made to worship, and, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Ouch. Did you see that hard pill that Stephen just got them to swallow concerning their ancestors and their sin? Stephen Stephen just slammed their faces in the way that their Jewish ancestors rebelled against Moses and God and what lengths they went through to do it. Think about it. They worshipped at the tabernacle of Molech and then they they took upon the star of their god, Remphan, images which uh, they worshipped. I'm speaking about how God exiled them to Babylon for their sin and how they didn't how he didn't let them go into the land of Egypt and how he exiled them to Babylon because of their rebellion against him basically he brought on these guys here the heat of what their ancestors had done not them yet he brought on them the heat of what their ancestors did how their ancestors rejected the God of the Bible, how their ancestors rejected the Moses, the one that they held up basically almost as God himself. And what he was really doing, Stephen was doing something really sly here by God's Holy Spirit, what he led him to say. Really sly indeed. Indeed, Stephen used here what's what's called an indirect approach to getting his audience's attention by all of this history, referencing, think of it, the sins of the others that were close to their audience in relation. Well, hey, remember your, your close relatives here not too long ago. Well, remember what they did, right, and how they were so close. 
and to their audience's sins, but not yet calling out their audience's sins, right? That would have made them shut him down right away, but he wasn't done speaking. He just wanted to remind them of all that their ancestors had done, right? Because as we're going to learn soon, they are guilty of the same sin as their ancestors, but he just doesn't bring it out yet. Kind of brings the heat on their ancestors, but he's getting to their sin soon. God worked this one gently, slowly, and smoothly, but he does it with great power. We're almost done with Stephen's sermon. Look at what he says next, because he kind of backs off from any harsh preaching for a moment, kind of gets back to some more history. Look at verses 44 through 50. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out from before the face of our fathers until the days of David, whom found favor before God and asked uh, to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? More history, just keeping their attention. We've heard a lot. Remember, he was working a very hard pill down into their bellies, and he was doing it in a soft, smooth, and subtle way. Because finally, after all of that history, and after all of that indirect approach stuff to reach them, he finally brings the heat, the large, hard pill, but no more soft and subtle and slow, smooth approach, by the way. Now it's Hardcore. That's my favorite way, as I said earlier. Look at verses 50 and 51 for the end of Stephen's sermon. You, now see, he directs it to them. Not no more ancestors. You, stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Look now, he references back, as your fathers did... So do you. Enough about your ancestors. You guys are sinners. The whole sermon was building up to this point. The whole sermon, the whole indirectness, the whole soft, smooth, getting the trial to swallow the pill. He was bringing it all around to this is his climax. God was just divine in this sermon. He doesn't stop there. He keeps on with the heat. Verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? He reminds them of all the prophets that died underneath the hands of so-called religious Jews who were supposedly following God, but they weren't. And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now, you now, they killed the ones that spoke about the promised one, the, the coming one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and the murderers. Because all of their forefathers killed the, the, the ones that were telling of the coming of the just one. Now they were the ones that actually put the just one to death. 53, you have received, or who, who have received by the law, by the direction of angels, and have not kept it. He slams them in the fact that they indeed are the ones whom have received God's laws, but they have not kept them, and they are murderers. They 
are the murderers of the just one. He was preluding the whole time, just building them up for this one certain part. This one part he was waiting to get to the whole sermon, keeping their attention, referencing these things, pointing out the sins of their forefathers, the same sins by which they are guilty of, by which he's talking to them now about. Now, although up to just now, Stephen only gave them an indirect message, slowly and smoothly getting them prepared for his main message to try to get them to swallow this large and very hard pill of truth, he finally gives it to them straight. Personal and direct. There's no other way that he could make it any more harsher and any clearer and right to the point. You stiff-necked, let's go back to it here, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. (coughs) Excuse me. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You guys are guilty of doing to Jesus Christ the same thing as your forefathers did. And what you could add to that, what you could say in that, their forefathers thought that they were following God, but they weren't. And these guys thought they were following God, but they were not. Now that he's finally given them this hard pill to swallow, were they receptive of it? Oh, wow. Thanks for pointing that out to us, Stephen. Well, we're so glad that you showed us all that. Do they finish swallowing the pill with ease? (laughs) Heavens, no. Look at their sad and unfortunate response. Look at verses 54 through 57. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They knew they were guilty. They knew it. God had revealed it to them. It was a long process. That God brought so much history, which may you be looking at it going, man, this is so boring. I mean, I love the Bible, but what does is, what is all this history have to do with Stephen's defense? And how is he going to prove himself innocent with all this? Well, he wasn't ever trying. He wasn't ever trying. Because just like with Jesus... Jesus knew he was guilty. Jesus knew that they had pronounced him guilty already. Jesus never defended himself either. Stephen knew they had already pretty much pronounced him, pronounced him guilty, so he wasn't trying to defend himself. What he was trying to do was he was trying to save their souls. God had revealed it to him. There was no way he was going to make it out of this. He said, "Oh, what? Okay, but I still love them." And I still want to save them. He has the heart of the soon-to-be Apostle Paul. His Apostle Paul is about to be born pretty soon. Where Paul says in one epistle, he says, I would rather that I would be accursed that I could win my brethren to the Lord. What he meant was, I I wish that God would send me to hell if the Jews could be saved. Stephen here, I know I'm going down, but I love my brethren and I got to win him for the Lord. They were cut to the heart, verse 54, which means that they knew that he was right. They knew that they were sinners. They knew that they were guilty, and they knew it. And what did they do? Unfortunately, they don't do what God wants. They were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth, which means that although they knew they were wrong, they were violently angry at him because he brought the truth 
right in front of them. He slammed them in the face with this truth. And instead of repenting, instead of turning to God, they gnashed at him with their teeth. They got so angry. They were violently angry with him. And then Stephen saw it come in 55. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look! He cries out to all these Jews now that were so angry with him already. Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Isn't it awesome that even though he knew he was going down, he saw the God of heaven and Jesus Christ standing next to one another and God let him see this image. It just goes to show you that God was with him through it all. There's ancient writings of, if you go to the Fox's Book of Martyrs and and other uh, book of recordings of the martyrs of Christianity, that even in the ancient times when there would have been a Christian that was about to be martyred, all of a sudden God would appear to them or they would see the heavenly throne and they would be comforted by this. And then Stephen, he gets this right here. This is, of course, the first time that uh, this happens. Uh, The other ones came after. But of course, we know that if somebody's going to suffer greatly for God, God's going to be with him in a great way. Praise him for that. And for saying that he saw Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God, proving that Jesus Christ was really from God, after he just showed them that they were wrong, and they even believed him, but they were mad about it, for this, and calling God and calling Jesus Christ God's Christ, and calling them out on their sins, they couldn't stand to hear it at all anymore. So they, verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. Now that's important. Does it say that God stopped their ears? For the Bible says God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God is willing then that everybody get saved. And here, so important for doctrinal purposes, if you know what I'm talking about, verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. This is something that they did. They willfully stopped their own ears. Wow, this whole sermon, God's purpose was to bring them to repentance. God's purpose was to bring them back into a right relationship with God. Yet they stopped their ears. And they ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. This would be the Saul that would soon to be Paul, who was (coughs) approving (coughs) of Stephen's death at this time. It reminds me here what happened here of John 1, 1 through 5 and 10 and 11, where the Bible says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the, light was, and the life was the light of all men, and the light shines in the darkness. For Stephen shined in the midst of their darkness, but just like Christ, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verses 10 and 11, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own... And his own did not receive him. Stephen came to his own. He wasn't one that was speaking with, with, with tongue of a different language. He wasn't one of different ancestry. He was one of them. He was a Jew of Jews, just like all these Jews. But he decided to put his faith in Jesus Christ, and he believed upon Jesus Christ, who Jesus said that he was, and who the Scriptures foretold that he was. 
And unfortunately, they just couldn't stand it. They, they just had to kill him. They just had to shut down the light. They had to, to rule over the light with their darkness because they closed their ears. Not God closed their ears, but they closed their ears. And unfortunately, they didn't just hit him with a few stones to bruise him a little, right? Look at our final verses, verses 59 and 60. And they stoned Stephen. He was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So praying to Jesus Christ as he was God, for he actually was God. Praise him. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Uh, Bible terms, he fell asleep. They killed him. They put him in his grave, all because he loved Jesus Christ and he told them the truth about their sin. And they believed him, but they weren't ready to turn. Instead, they heard the truth. They could have turned. Instead, they turned away. Stephen becoming here the first Christian martyr, the first follower of Christ that, of course, he believed upon what others had said about Christ. I believe that may not be true, but He was the first follower of Christ in some way to be killed because he told them the truth about their sins and professed Jesus Christ as who he said he was and he didn't relent nor recant even unto death. Which is a real proof to me, I hate to cut off, but God's laid something on. It's real proof to me that Jesus Christ is the one true God of all the universe. You see, his followers were and are still willing to allow themselves to be martyred because they refused to deny Jesus Christ as the Christ the only Savior of the world, right? His followers proclaim Him to be the only way to heaven, proclaim Him to be the one true God of all heaven and earth. And then for that, still to this day, they are martyred unto death as they don't defend themselves and as they just have this belief and they say, well, we don't want to die, but we can't deny Jesus Christ, and yet they're killed, just as Jesus was, by the way, for that's exactly what happened to Jesus. Not, not just one of the saviors of the world they proclaim him to be, as I said, just as Jesus Christ claimed. Instead, we have those amongst us today who claim themselves to be martyrs for their faith and a God, but they claim themselves to be a martyr and do the killing and do the blowing up to kill others who say they know others, another God. One did things Jesus' way, Ones are still doing things Jesus' way. Others are not doing things Jesus' way, but yet still call themselves martyrs. I don't know. I I seem to think that the one that would do the ways, you know, the one that claimed to be God, that'd be the one true, be the one true king. That 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 would just be me. I mean, that that's what I see in the Bible. But anyway, a stark contrast. One one group says they know God and gets martyred the way Christ was, and the other group who was who, who say they knew God say they're martyrs, but then they do the killing. How, how can that be? How can that? that? That can't be. It's impossible. So at first, Stephen uses the history of their ancestors there as he was Jewish to pique their interest so that they would even open their hearts to him so that they would listen to him to get their undivided attention. This was genius. This was a genius move. He didn't come at him right away. This could have been a two-verse sermon. You repent, Jesus Christ is the Lord! And they stone him, and then that's it. No cut to the heart, no nothing. It would have just been their word, 
This sermon was genius. Then secondly, he moves into some of the turmoil that their ancestors go through and, and to keep them listening to him, still in the history phase. Third, he indirectly slips into the fact to them that their precious ancestors uh, were those who openly reject God and his path. Again, indiscreetly pointing to them and the ways that they had acted with the one and true God, Jesus, the, one, the one that God sent, Jesus Christ, and their sins against him. And lastly, he does this right before he opens the door to the direct approach to slam them with the hard pill of truth that they were also in rebellion to God and his plan in Jesus Christ, the one whom God sent to be a prophet like Moses, whom they should have heard, yet they didn't, unfortunately, and they closed their own ears. This was a brilliant message, totally inspired by God, because there is a reason why God calls his kids sheep, by the way. Sheep, in case you didn't know, are one of the stupidest creatures on the face of the planet, and God calls his children sheep. There's no way Stephen would have known how to preach a sermon like this to keep their attention and to cut them to the heart like this unless this sermon was in totally and absolutely 100% inspired by God because God got through to them as they were cut to the heart. That's, we know that God got through because it says that they were cut to the heart. The heart. Now, they didn't respond as God wanted them to, but he did get through to them loud and clear. This is a brilliant message. Slow going, seemed a little dull, but God had his purpose and God had a purpose for it. Christians, God shows us here, even through Stephen and his message, that, that there is a way to slowly and smoothly slide a very large, hard pill of truth down into the bellies of those whom, whom you're preaching to, whom don't really want to listen to the hard truths you have to tell them about their sin and your faith in Christ Jesus. They listened to Stephen for a long time and God got through to them, which is what he desires to do. God wants to get through to people. Uh, how would God have wanted them to respond to what he said through Stephen? Same way that they did, or same, yeah, same way they did in Acts 3.19 with Peter, uh, when Peter says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And remember, at that time, the day of Pentecost, they did do that. They did repent, and they were converted. As at that time, thousands, when Peter said this in 319, Acts 319, thousands came to the Lord. How and whom should they repent to? Matthew 16, 24 and 25. If anyone desires to come after me, says Jesus, let him deny himself. Let him surrender his life to me as Lord. No more you in control no more the devil in control of you. You laying down your life to me, says Jesus. This is repentance. This is, this is denying self. This is what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to lay down before the feet of Jesus and worship him as God and give him their lives. Then he wanted them to take up his cross, as Jesus said in Matthew 16, which is live a life of holiness as God wants those that get saved to live and then to take up their cross and then to follow him, to follow the teachings of Jesus, 
not to live for themselves anymore, but to follow the teachings of Jesus. Verse, verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Those who desire to, I want my life for me. I want my life and my control of my life, and I want it in my hands. Well, and Jesus said, you're going to lose it, meaning you're going to lose eternal life. And really, as I've been seeing around, as I watch all the people who even profess to be Christians but live like the devil and those that don't profess to be lovers of Jesus but still live like the devil as they all live the same, how they don't just lose their eternal life. I see how they lose it in their real life now as their lives fall apart. If you look at all those who don't love Jesus or even those who say they love Jesus but they don't live like it, their lives are falling apart. Their lives are in ruin. God saves not only the soul, but God saves the man and the life too as God heals the life, not only the soul and not only the eternity. And then he goes on for eternal here, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever, whoever lays down, stretches out their hands to God and says, Jesus, I need you. I need you to take over. I don't want to live for myself anymore. Then Jesus promised then that you would find eternal life. Many think today that they're truly saved, like these guys that came at Stephen, like these guys that persecuted Stephen from the synagogue, like the religious leaders that unjustly judged him, whom Stephen already knew that they were going to pass judgment on him in a negative way no matter what he did, no matter what he said. Because again, their religious law, they had two or more. He was guilty. He was going down. He loved Jesus. He spoke about Jesus. They hated that. It was time for persecution to begin in the church. And of course, just like them, many today believe they're some, they're some, themselves to be saved and them going to be spending eternity with him in heaven forever. But unfortunately, just like these guys, they're deceived that we read about in Scripture. Are you truly saved today? If so, have you surrendered your life to Christ, losing your earthly control of it to Him, so letting Him be control of it, trusting in Him with everything and in every situation? Is that you? If it's not... Turn to Him if you're not currently standing on His side or if you have backslidden from this type of relationship with God through Christ because Christ said that you're either for Him or you're against Him. You can't be both. You can't serve two masters. You can't be for Him and you can't be it. You're either for Him or you're against Him. God wants you to be for Him and He wants you to give the total control of your life to Him and not be against Him by your actions and your ways. Please turn to Him today. If you've turned away or you've never turned to him before, he wants to save you. And he can't, he's not just going to save your soul. He's going to save your life too. He's going to get your life in order and make things right and give you joy and happiness in this world like you've never known before. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord God, for this amazing sermon of Stephen. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the amazing way, Lord God, that Stephen brought about this amazing, like you could call it a history lesson even, Lord, that kept their attention long enough, Lord God, to get this hard pill of truth into their bellies. God, thank you so much, Lord God, that as the, the old saying goes in our earthly you know, world, Lord, there's more than one way to skin a cat, Lord. And here we see that Stephen skinned a cat by your mouth, Lord, and we thank you for that, Lord. I, I pray that those of us that are, you know, when we get a chance to 
reach out to people, Lord God, when you give us that, those divine appointments, Lord God, I pray that we would keep ourselves open, Lord, as your children, Lord, to how you want us to reach out to people. For Lord, there's more than one way to get through to somebody. There's more than one way to talk to them about you and to get the truth of Christ and the truth of their sin in them. Other than just standing there looking at them going, you're sinners and you're on the way to hell. You're on your way to hell. Ah, die, you almost, you know, this, that, and the other thing, Lord. We, We know, Lord, there's more than one way to get that truth into their bellies. Give us those divine and perfect ways to do those things. And Lord, for those that are listening to me, Lord, or those that know those that are around them that aren't yours, Lord, I just pray for them too. Lord, I pray that you would get through to them, Lord, in every and any way you can. Lord, you know the best way to get through to people. Same as you did for everyone that's responded, Lord. You know the best way to get, you knew the best way to get through to us. Lord, I pray that for those that don't know you or those that have rejected you or those that have walked away from you, Lord, I pray that you would, you know the best way to get through to them too. And so, Lord, I pray that you would get through to them the best way that you know that you can in order to win them to you. Please, dear God, for I pray that you would draw many into your kingdom today, even those that listen to this message if they don't know you. We love you and praise you and thank you, dear God. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.